as kind of the, the uh, last word from the book of First Timothy. We finished First Timothy last hour. And if you're watching, if you're paying attention to what we're doing, that means that we have two more short epistles by the Apostle Paul in the study of the Christian life of Paul. That leaves Titus and then Second Timothy. Two more pastoral epistles. And that'll be the last word from the Apostle Paul in our, our deliberate chronological and survey walk through the life of Paul. I hope you've noticed as we've gone through, we haven't really summarized much biblical doctrine in what we've said. We've summarized the passages and taken it kind of a paragraph or two at a time. That's a very fast survey way to go through. Uh, if I was to take Ephesians or Colossians or uh, Romans, especially, and work it verse by verse, doctrine by doctrine, not in the survey method we've been doing these last several years. If I was to do that with Paul's life, with his letters, well, I would never, I mean, I would finish after 30 or 40 years of pastoral ministry, which I'm working on. We've got Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians uh, done, and um, I'm sure there's much more for me to do in there, but we've worked through those in detail. When I go through a book in detail, New people will inevitably come. I'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 or 5, and I'll work the three verses that we have time for in that portion. Um, someone will say something like, how long are you going to be in 1 Thessalonians? I mean, I've been here four Sundays, and it's all you've talked about. And, um, and I will not tell them, this is not the place for you. I never say that. But somehow they'll conclude that, and I'm sorry. But um, here's the thing. I'm in love with the scriptures. I am absolutely just delighted by the insights I get as I dig down. And um, today is a, an easy time, an easy summary of the New Testament doctrine of Elpis, hope is the word in Greek. Now we have plenty of copies for everybody because um, we were gifted with a laser, um, a, a laser desktop printer that runs them off now, if you'll notice that the blue ink where it's supposed to be blue isn't there, and there's spatters of blue ink where it's not supposed to be. So it's not, uh, it's not my best. But, uh, but again, we don't have a background to show you this, the slide, but it is the best we've got for today. Now, Samuel, I can't say anything unless you give me a copy. <laughs> that's not your fault. That's my fault. You want to let one gently reverse rapture down? No, it's okay. Let, kind of float, on, float one on down. Don't anybody get paper cut? All right, so, okay, somebody clapped. All right, so we're doing the biblical doctrine of hope today. I hope you enjoy what we're doing, and that will be the last time, hopefully, I use that word hope in an uncertain way because the essence of biblical hope is it's faith that's gone to seed, faith that is hardened up. If faith is the concrete that you're mixing, then hope is when it hardens. That's my illustration of it. And the biblical doctrine of hope will solve all of your problems. It doesn't take them away, but it solves the way we think about them. So let's uh, start today um, on the back of our note sheet. Thank you. Do we have some leftovers? Excellent. Yeah, you need one too. On the back, I've got key passages. Number bullet number four, big point four is the key passages. And I want to just start off. I always want to start off with the scriptures, especially when I teach a category, because the category is coming out of all the scriptures, but we can do one or the other. I can do exegesis or I can summarize, categorize. And most of the time, almost all the time, I, I do exegesis. So let's go to 1 Peter 
verse or chapter one, verse 13. Based on all that he said about our salvation, that the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied of the grace that would come to you. They made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or what time, what manner or person the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Peter is, we're on this side of the cross and the coming of Christ. And we're saying this is the whole Old Testament is looking for the Messiah and the prophets of old are anxious to know exactly who it is and what he's like. But you can't know the fulfillment of God's promises until they come, until it happens. And then you say, oh, we see it. And that's where we stand. We can see the whole thing. We see the whole thing. Now, there are unfulfilled prophecies still that we're looking forward to. But based on how God has done it all along, we're looking for literal fulfillment of Old Testament and New Testament prophecy the third or so of the prophecies in the Bible that have not yet been fulfilled as today. But in verse 13, based on this salvation, Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. You may know that that is actually a, a word that, that means to, um, to take your flowing garment and wrap it up and put it in your pistol belt so that you can run or fight or do what you need to do. It's not flowing garment time. It's time for action. Keep sober, fix your heart, hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in that statement is the biblical doctrine of hope. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is Peter saying fix your hope on your present peace with God? No. Is he saying fix your hope on the facts of the past? No, he's saying, fix your hope completely on what is coming. What is in the future? This is our launching point for the doctrine of hope as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy one who called you be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written in Leviticus 11, you shall be holy for I'm holy. The biblical doctrine of hope includes if you flip over in your notes please try to be disciplined you can read through and and maybe get the gist of it but i'll try to work through it it has three key concepts that all have to be present as i understand it for there to be genuine biblical hope new testament hope has three key concepts it has to have a correct orientation and the orientation or the direction that you're focused on is not the past or the present it's the future Biblical hope is a future orientation. It is a future orientation. The biblical uh, recovery movement in America, once called by its opponents, the fundamentalist movement, called by its proponents, the dispensational movement in the United States, the recovery of biblical truth and the march back to the Bible and the recovery of the spirit of the Reformation, which was not completed in the season of the Reformation. This was composed, the, the Bible conference movement was composed of two key thoughts. 
Two key topics dominated the Bible conferences hosted by, uh, presided over by James Hall Brooks and the early fundamentalists of the late 19th century, paving the way for the 20th century and what we have today as the few who will still say what God said he's going to do, he will do. When he says the curse of nature will be removed, the animals are going to stop fighting each other in the coming kingdom. We actually believe that. When we learn that when Jesus rules, there is no war between nations, not because there are no nations, but because Jesus is ruling. We believe that we're looking for that. The biblical conference movement was dominated in their meetings by two topics. One was the freeness of God's grace in the Christian's life empowered by the Holy Spirit, the walk by the Spirit, as a contradiction to what would be called the holiness movement or the mystical movement or the I can't help it, the Holy Spirit makes me movement. That the word of God mediated by the Spirit of God and the life of the believer is the Christian walk. That was the first topic. The other topic that got more press was the pre-tribulation rapture and biblical eschatology, the future things, the end time things. And Lewis Berry Chafer, I think, was known more for the first topic than the second one. So I believe was Brooks. But everyone is sensationalized by the rapture. But to me, to be a dispensationalist is to acknowledge the work of the spirit and the life of the church age believer as the norm, the doctrine of the filling of the spirit, which is not an occasional ecstatic experience, but is the normative work of the spirit saturating you with the word. That's the, to me, the heart of dispensational theology. Now, some are pre-trib who don't walk that way, but most who believe in the coming resurrection of the church, the translation of the church started off with this conviction about the Christian spiritual life. My studies in PhD work have, and research have led me to this conclusion, reading the forebears, the, the dispensationalists that came before. It's a little known history. But I mean, to get to this history, you can't have unbelievers tell you the story. They don't understand it. And that's what's happened. People that have written the history of it don't really know what happened or where we're coming from. And anyway, having lived it and been an heir of this all my life, uh, it's been fun doing research to find this out. But back to our, our notes, the definition of biblical hope has three pieces. And the first is a future orientation. Hope always looks to the future. The second piece of biblical hope is a basis. Everybody hopes in something. Like we say, everybody believes in something. There, everyone has faith in something. Oh, I can't wait for my birthday coming up, says the little kid. So-and-so invited me to their party and they said there's going to be a bouncy house. Can't wait. That's hope. That is an expectation. I've been invited to have the invitation and it's coming and I don't have it yet. But unless something happens between now and Thursday afternoon when the party comes, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm helping you grasp the sense of biblical hope. It's an orientation, something in the future, and it has a basis. There's something you're hoping in. Sometimes that thing and biblically is called your hope. But, it, but the word I want to get, grab hold of is the basis for this sense of hope, this confident expectation. There's a doctrine, a, a statement, a promise, something that you hang on to. And of course, it's God's word. It's God's promises. It's your relationship with him. This is your hope. And the third thing is the definition of Elpizo. It isn't that I really am, am hoping in English that Jesus comes to get us. I hope my sins are paid for. I, I hope that they invite me to the party. I hope that I uh, pass my classes and can play football this semester, whatever it is. No, this is 
the expectation that is based on and grounded on the belief in the one making the promise. So you have an orientation that's future, a basis, which is God's promises and the coming of Christ and a, a, a response to these things, the expectation that these are so. And anytime you and I set our attention away, anytime we're distracted away from these truths that are the basis of our hope, we lose the hope. The minute we look away from Jesus, the wind of the waves start to win and we sink. And this is so vital. That's why I'm spending time today summarizing the biblical doctrine of hope. Second big point is there is the function of hope. What is it for? What does it do in us? Why is it indispensable? There are many more things I could do 15 or 20 more pages we could come up with on the doctrine and it would be the exegesis of the passages and the conclusions from those. This is a very, if we're going to teach a course on it, this would be the first summary message on it. But just let's stick with this. We have an orientation, a basis, and, an, and it's an expectation. That's what hope is. Now the function, biblical hope serves as our key motivation for success in our trials and suffering. Biblical hope is our key motivation. It, it isn't a motivation if you're uncertain. It's only motivating for you if you're sure. It's, it deals with Christian assurance. My hope is in the Lord and he's coming for me and he's not angry with me. He's satisfied with me because of my salvation, because of his work on the cross. My father is propitiated and Christ is my hope. And I have a fearful God into whose hands I don't want to fall for discipline or judgment, but I have Christ, my only hope. And my life, I make mistakes through life. And there are things that I should have done that I didn't do. And I missed opportunities. And I, I'm wondering if, if the work I'm doing really matters. And, and I, I'm just not sure if I'm missing out on what I need to, to take care of. And, and there are so many things. Just pick one of the kids. Did I do everything I could do with this child for his good? In my case, it's always his good. Am I doing everything I can? Am I missing steps? Am I getting it right? I should be making this evaluation. But I shouldn't be in despair. Because my hope is in the Lord. My hope is in his promises. And now I'm stabilized. That's the biblical doctrine of hope. There's nothing. I'm, you're not missing out. If you're walking with the Lord, you're not missing out. If you're in his word, I like this. I can kind of get closer to everyone. I, I should, I should not abuse that privilege. Hope is B hope is God's protocol way of bringing us along in our walk with him. He doesn't want you to walk weak and unstable on baby deer legs, or you keep falling and smashing your face into the ice. Like I'm Bambi. He wants you to walk stabilized and it's a way of bringing you along. You have trials that you cannot make it through. You cannot get through the trials without the hope and you can't get the maturity that God wants to build in you without the trials. And so it's, it's the context, it's the attitude, it's the orientation as you get through the tough stuff in life. It is God's way, his protocol way of bringing you along. And so it's indispensable. See, because of Christian hope, we can rejoice in the Lord regardless of our circumstances. The, the, the sister message to this would be joy, the biblical doctrine of joy. Joy is a choice. Joy is a command. Joy is an attitude. Joy involves your feelings. It really does. You can look it up. I'll show you all through the scriptures. We rejoice and we sorrow in our hearts, according to the Old Testament, to the Proverbs and to the Psalms. We rejoice and we sorrow in the heart, the immaterial core of you. All right? And, and joy is there, but only if your hope is intact. As you're hurting, as the hard things are happening in your present that are weighing down on your perspective about the foreseeable future of this life, you lose somebody. Somebody dies and, you, and, you're, and you're bereft. And you're going to be bereft until you die because this person died. 
The hardest stuff we deal with when, with the death of a loved one, death of a child or something. This is when hope becomes indispensable. We have to have it. And where does it come from? An orientation to the future based on God's promises and an expectation they'll do what he said. So because of Christian hope, we can rejoice in the Lord regardless of circumstances. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And he doesn't say it in the, in, the, um, in the optative mood. He doesn't say it in the subjunctive mood. He doesn't say it in the indicative mood. Hey, you're rejoicing in the Lord. He says it in the imperative. Hey, you and I are responsible to rejoice in the Lord always. How do we do that? Because we've got a future and eternal orientation. Because prior to hope, or prior to, to joy is our hope. D, the essential quality of stability of soul comes from Christian hope. Christians, you need to be stabilized and not a product of this world and not a product of bitter reaction to the rejection you receive in the world. You don't need to be a product of personal sin, of resentment or regret, uh, an illicit regret or an illicit sense of guilt. You need hope. You need the stability that you have because you're focused on the Lord and his promises. That's what hope does for you. It gives you stability where otherwise you would fall apart. Why are you stable in this situation? You're looking for that question as you be the rock in whatever circumstance you're in and the people around you are falling apart. All about you're losing their heads and blaming it on you. How do you have that stability? Because you're oriented on the future of God's promises, the basis of your hope, and you're expecting him to do what he said. The essential quality of stability of soul. And E, last, this stability makes, it, makes us fit for God's service, for God's work. I talk about mission, mission, mission. Beloved, I never want you to do anything without joy. And you can't have any joy without hope. Mission, mission, mission is a, is a curse if you don't have the hope that your, your work has value. How many people have I personally worked on? Meaning I pray for them a lot. As occasion, as, as I'm able, I spend time with them. Try to bring encouragement, even the word bring the word into their lives in a, in a interpersonal way. I don't try to just say y'all do it. I try to live by example. Okay. And as I do this, how many times has this exploded in my face? How many times has it been? Uh, no, I'm not going there. How many times has it been? Yes, I'll go there a little while, but then, uh, one of the parable of the sower, one of the, you know, we get crushed out and choked out by the, by the world. How many times has this happened in my life? Those of you who know me pretty well can probably say, hey, I, as I think about it, Pastor Dave, you've done this a lot. I don't think that means that we don't get involved with individuals and, and mentor them, disciple them along. Of course, it doesn't mean that. What does it mean? It means that the work that I do and the success I'm looking for has to be in God's accounting. It can't be in the, the, the results that I see. You can't go by numbers. You can't go by, this is how many people we put in ministry. You can't do that. It's not, it's not the way it works. If my hope was in my perspective on my success, like you, I suspect I would not have a lot of hope. Now, I pastor in New England. I'm dealing with the world that is off the rails. And it's off the rails more and more the younger the group is. And the older we are, the less we see how off the rails it is sometimes. 
And that's getting ahead of us and out of our hands. And what used to work doesn't work anymore. And the world is a meat grinder and it's eating our kids. I know why we're having trouble. But the Lord knows also what we're dealing with. And he's going to make good whatever we do in his power and his spirit. And that's our hope. And that's how we proceed. That's the only way we proceed. One reason I have to admit I wanted to preach a message summarizing hope is because today is the 4th of July, 2021. It is a day when I have to say that the American project did not begin as an effort to, uh, to enslave people, that that was not the design and the goal of this country. I have to say that today. 15 years ago, to have to say that on this day would be uh, uh, unthinkable. 50 years ago, someone would have said, who says that? String them up. That's seditious. That is seditious. That is, that is destructive of the very fabric of what we are. We can't be a country with this. But we're the frog in the pot. Our hope is not in the United States. And it never has been or it never should have been. Our hope is not in our political process. It's not in any rulers, whether they are uh, slipping or whether they just can't control themselves in their pronouncements publicly. It's never in human, human leadership. Our hope is in the Lord. And that only works with a future, an eternal orientation. That only works as you think about what are we here for? What's the mission? That only works as you recognize that your success is tied up with the judgment seat of Christ. So let's get to requirements. I've got a bunch of them. I don't mean the requirements for you to have hope. I don't mean this as like there are this many requirements. I mean, this is a rationale. It's a thought process for you to enjoy this hope. Maybe you can say, I've got it right now. I'm, I'm stable. I'm thinking about my eternal future and I understand how that relates to right now in my service. I get it. And it's not the energy of the flesh. It's, it's, it's the work of the spirit through me. It's the empowerment of God's grace to be about his work and to pursue Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, to pursue the fruit of the Spirit, to run after this love that we're commanded to, to live. But, um, but let's go through the rationale on what you need to have it. Maybe sometimes you don't have it. Maybe you don't feel stabilized in your Christian walk. Well, this is why. It has to do with the Word. It has to do with the Word. It has to do with the Word. And every conversation, that one-on-one -on -one thing, is always, in my view, to get us to see that our relationship with God comes from a radical, for our culture, a radical attention to the word of God. So requirements, let's go through basis and orientation and expectation. In, in terms of requirements, for hope to be active, we must keep our focus on God and his promises. That's the only place hope lives, is that you, a person made in God's image to experience the, the power of God's word in your everyday life, you gotta have that word Focus, giving you back your focus on the Lord. Giving your focus back on the Lord. Second, this calls for a constant intake of God's word that will be radically different in terms of volume from most people in your culture, Christians or otherwise. Your radical attention to God's word so that you have a stable, consistent perspective of eternal future and your hope that requires constant, daily attention, focus. I think that to spend an hour in the word a day would be a minimum for you. I mean, meditating on the word of God, thinking about what he said, talking to him about what he said. This habit to me is absolutely indispensable to enjoy the stability of Christian hope and to have it mature. 
constant intake of God's word that will be radically different in terms of volume from the culture around you. The more our culture tends toward godlessness and the more the culture is telling the church how to be the church with its godlessness, the less you're going to see a focus on God's word and the more it's going to be about how we feel, period. And I feel pretty bad about that. And I can't tell you the exhilaration I feel when I draw conclusions about my life and my walk with God through what he's saying in his word. I feel fantastic when I've thought through what he said and I've trusted him. And I know that this world has a lot of distractions, but that's all they are. C, the greater volume of conflict and the distraction, the greater the volume you see in your culture, the greater will be your need for, for the redirect you get from God's word. Now, isn't that, that's just obvious to me. The more we're distracted by the world, the more, they, they talked about it 20 years ago. Remember the words information revolution? Remember that? They said more information is being generated with the computers and the connection, the connectivity every day than has ever been generated in all of world history. They're, they're saying like there's so much, it's the information explosion. People in Preston, little, little quiet corner of Preston, Connecticut are thinking about things that would never have occurred to them without an internet connection. They're thinking about, they're being exposed to things. They're, and it's not all bad. Take a master class and learn to do brisket with uh, Aaron Franklin. I mean, I'm not selling anything, believe me. But, but I mean, you can learn neat and, and valuable things. I think Franklin has it. That's how you do brisket. It's not all bad, but it's, it's overload. And a lot of it is, it, it is soul killing. A lot of it will destroy you. So in the time we live in, we don't need less of the word. We need more of it. D, God's word calls for our faith. It will not profit us if we don't believe it. Another obvious thing. The first thing you do with God's word after you've understood it is trust him. Some will say you have to trust him to understand it. I, there's, there's truth to that in that I'm believing in the one who's speaking here. And so I'm opening my heart to what he's saying. But once I understand what he's saying, then I have to assent. I have to say yes. A, a good test of your faith would be 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. You'll find out whether you're biblical or woke. And how you deal with 1 Timothy uh, 6, 1 and 2. And then keep reading because Paul will tell you why you've rejected the word of God in verses 3 through 9. So God's word calls for your faith and it won't profit unless you believe it. And then E, hope must be guarded in terms of its basis. You have to guard that hope in terms of its basis. What is your hope? See, you're going to hope in something. It'll be a, 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 maybe I'll get the job and I hope in my job. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it and I don't have it yet, but everything's lining up. And if I could just get the job, then I'll be okay. That's a false form of hope that will destroy you, especially if you get the job. Because the, the universe aligned to what you really wanted and you wanted it bad enough and you got it. And that's a satanic counterfeit of what we're talking about. Now, you need to work hard. You need to be efficient at work. You need to be the best you can. And you need to get the job. But your hope isn't in the job. It's in the Lord. You have to guard it. That's what I mean by guarding your hope. In terms of orientation, F, biblical hope requires a constant orientation to the future. 
So we've talked about its basis. You have to keep Jesus focal. The way you do that is a focus on the word. There is no other way because anything else besides the word will be the Jesus you thought of. It's the word of God that tells you how it is, regardless of how you feel. That's the starting point. That's your basis. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. But then there's the orientation. Biblical hope requires a constant orientation to the future. If you want to have this hope, you're going to have to think past this trouble to what God said he'd do with it. Romans 8, 28 is eschatological. It's end times. And we know, I'll put it in the Greek order, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's eschatological. That isn't uh, at the end of this trial that I'm going through, two weeks later, we'll see that it was, all, it was worth it all. That's not how it works. All things work together for good is the whole tapestry of God's eternal plan. And it involves you. You are really important to that eternal plan. And I know that because of the blood of Christ. Because to get you into his plan, God had to send his son to die for you. In God's economy, you are vital to his work. He can do it without you. Don't misunderstand. He can do whatever he wants. But just by virtue of the purchase price for your salvation, for God's glory, you're, you're central to his plan. And that's your hope. It's eschatological. So you have to guard the basis and you have to guard the orientation. Gee, God's promises are generally future and eternal things. I wish someone had told me that when I was a kid. I mean, under 40. I wish someone had told me it's about the future, David. It's about eternity. Now, Satan has his speak spokesman that will tell you that that's the opiate of the masses. You're willing to deal with the unfair labor situation because you believe uh, uh, by and by, pie in the sky, Jesus is coming or something. But that is Satan denying the doctrine that we read in the scriptures of our hope. Our hope is not in our work. It's not in our country. It's not in our president. It's not in our government. I mean, it's really not in our president. It's not in anything but the Lord Jesus Christ and his promises. And these promises are eternal things. And here's the thing. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. If you store up treasures in heaven, then your heart is going to be where your treasure is. It's going to be in heaven focused on Christ. You want to see righteousness reign? Well, get ready. You and I are going to rule with Christ. That's the promise. That's the future expectation. And if you'll focus on that and make your life arranged around that future orientation, you will see, you will see the results when you need to, that you want to see. If you do like we tend to do, avoid delayed gratification or instant gratification. If you do what we tend to do, you'll say, well, that's too far off. I don't know. That's, that's later. I'm talking about right now. I mean, I want to make some money. I want to do something with my life. I want, to, I want my life to matter. You are going to ensure that your life will not matter in terms of God's purpose for eternity. I don't mean you lose your salvation. I mean, you won't be what God wants you to be. You won't be made by him through his word, what he wants to make of you. And that's your hope. Your hope is that what you're doing as you walk with him is having eternal value. So it's a future eternal hope. G or H, God has promised his presence and strength and care for your, for our present circumstances. There is in our present God's promises. Uh, my favorite I'm with you is Psalm 23. Even if I walk through the death shadow Valley, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. I take that as a promise. 
David is professing his faith in him. God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you to Israel. And if it's true for them, it's really true for us because we, unlike Israel of the Old Testament, are in Christ. We're united to Christ through Christ's baptism with the Spirit. The new arrangement is we're closer to him than Israel, the apple of his eye, was and is. And I don't mean that in any way other than God has an eternal plan. It includes Israel and the church. And so if he's got a promise to Israel, I'll never leave you. Don't fret for a minute that he would leave you. Don't also try to, to preempt his promises to Israel and say that he doesn't have them for Israel. But he's promised his presence and his strength and care for our present circumstances. And you can rest in that. But, that's, but if you're just focused on right now and Jesus is with me, you're driving the car by looking almost at the dashboard. And you need to drive the car looking at the horizon. Yeah, he's with me, equipping you to prepare for what's coming. However, I, most of what we agonize over involves the future in some way. Are you with me? Jay, our fears are almost universally fears concerning loss, lost opportunities, lost wealth, lost health, lost income. We are afraid or worried or anxious about loss. I deal with this all the time. I don't know if it's, it's a Proust idea or what, but just the idea that I had opportunities that I, wasn't, I didn't necessarily capitalize on. I could have done more. The Schindler thing at the end, I could have sold the car and bought two more, saved two more people. Did we do enough? Did we maximize our opportunity or do we, do we just live in constant regret? And then the moment you spend in regret is wasted opportunity. And I'm in, now I'm in a cycle I can't break out of, of just wasted life. And the answer is stop it. It's not about you. Your hope is in the Lord and he will make the most of your life if you give it to him. Pardon the cliche, but let him have it. It's his. He bought it, so recognize, recognize it. But I, what I'm trying to say is that we, we suffer loss or we fear loss and that's the biggest ding on our hope. The biggest ding on us is the fear of loss. But if you have the hope, then you won't fear loss. You will fear wasting your time now and you'll run forward because you want to make the most of the time. You want to redeem the time for the days are evil. There's no security regarding fear of loss without knowledge of the future is L. This is what Paul teaches Timothy into 1 Timothy 6. We don't hope in riches. You may have wealth, but it's not your hope. Ask Zimbabwe or any other country that's overinflated their currency. You cannot hope in your wealth. And I'm with you. I've been trying to figure out a way to stop the, the confiscatory inflation that they're doing to our currency. How can I protect my assets? I, I don't need to because my hope isn't in wealth. It's in God. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his provision and his care. And I'm told in Matthew 6, I'm told, and Jesus was speaking to Israel, but I would definitely apply this to us. If I'm about his work, then he provides the logistics. I don't need to worry about it. And if I do worry about it and disregard the work he's called me to do, then I am serving wealth and not him. We're almost there. M, in terms of expectation, you've got your orientation, you've got your basis. Now expectation. If we believe God's word concerning our present and future, we should expect God to do what he said he would do. If we believe his word, then we should expect, and that's what I started with, if, if faith is the mixing liquid concrete, then hope is after that concrete is hardened. It's the stability phase of God's word applied in your life. 
and you need it. And if you're struggling, if you're weakened, there's a hope gap. You're, you don't have, there's a hope deficiency there that you're, you're missing out on. And lastly, we should grow in our expectation of the promise of the resurrection, the judgment seat of Christ and the eternal coming kingdom. You and I should be so aware of God's eschatological plan for our future. We should be so excited about what he said what to, he would do with us that, that that should be in our perspective alongside the bad news that the currency got inflated or we're carrying uh, barrels of cash to go buy a loaf of bread or whatever is in store for the stupidity of the great reset. I don't think we should hope in affordable gasoline the way things are going. You should not hope in the destiny of the leadership of this country. Because today in 2021, we have to say things like, I know it is popular to tell the children that morality is that men can become women and women can become men. But the truth is that that's immorality. It's the greatest example I can show you of man's rebellion against God uh, in my generation, in my lifetime. 20 years ago, preacher could get this message in a time machine and say, what did you just say? You, that was something that would be needed to be said. Hey, I say it because someone needs to, because you and I've heard the alternative all day, every day for six months now, maybe a year, maybe for 10 years. Our hope is in the Lord. Amen. Amen. And in that sense, let's celebrate our nation's birthday. Let's sing our national anthem. The last verse, we'll sing both verse, verse and fourth verse, which is the only ones we have printed. The last verse, I want you to pay close attention to it. It is the reason for our freedom is the reason we have a country. The flag up. I'll get it. While we're looking up the number, let me get the flag. That is uh, hymn number 688 in our hymnals. If you need a refreshment on the words, as the guide on brings the flag out. Yeah. Change of command ceremony. I always uh, do what we've always done. I put my hand over my heart and salute and I face the flag when we sing our national anthem. Ready. Find it. 688.
want to ask Rusty Minter to come up and dismiss us in prayer. I have to retrieve the microphone for him. And I have to remember the trick. I have to turn this one. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, it has been good to be here tonight, today, and worship with these people. And Lord, we are thankful that we had the opportunity to once again remember the suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have our salvation that was free, but it was at such a cost. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. We thank you for the expectation that we have of the promises that you have made to us. We pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, we would not be forgetful hearers of the word, but doers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.